Thank you for listening to a sermon from Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Kenmore, New York. Our senior pastor is Justin Olivetti. To reach Knox Church, please email us at office at knoxepc.com or call us at 716-873-2423. To request prayer, email us at prayerchain at knoxepc.com. Now, let's listen. As you remain standing, please open with me to Psalm chapter 1. It's located on page 527 in your pew Bibles. Psalm chapter 1. We'll read the entirety of it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so are the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. May we have the ears to hear it, and may his blessing be added to it. Please have a seat. wonder if you recognize this quote. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Probably a lot of us have, because this is one of the most famous American poems of all time. It's Robert Frost's 1916 poem, The Road Not Taken. We've heard this particular quote so many times. It's usually used as a sign of American individualism. We're very individualistic, very confident. We strike out on our own path. We don't follow the crowd. We take the road less traveled. Unfortunately, that's a false interpretation of this poem. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Literary scholars say that this is the most misinterpreted poem of all time as well. At its core, the road not taken is not really about going on your own way and going down a path that few people have gone down before. The road not taken is about making a choice without knowing what lies down both paths. For most of the poem, the the speaker is standing there looking at both ways, trying to make up his mind. And when he finally does start to go down one path, the road less traveled, he says this, Oh, I kept the first, the first road for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. You see, he would never know where the other road would lead him, and that would always haunt him, would always gnaw at him. And I think that paralysis of choice is something we can all identify with. We have to make all sorts of choices every single day of our life. And we don't know where those choices will lead. Some of them are big choices, some of them are very small but we can always have that, that regret, that second-guessing later on. That, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I had just gone down that other path. That's why the very first psalm that we're going to look at here in the Psalter is a gift to us, a gift to the indecisive. And just six verses, David, 
right of a choice that every single person must make. <clears throat> but he also shows us where those two choices lead. He doesn't leave it up to ambiguity. We are informed of both the road and destination, which gives us an opportunity to choose wisely. So what road are we on today in our life? Are we on the road of the wicked or the road of the righteous? What are, where are both of these roads heading, and what will we find there? Well, make us truly happy when we go down these roads. Now, as we begin a new series called Learning to Love the Psalms, I like that title. I stole it. It's not my original title. It's the title of a book. But I like it because a lot of us have not learned to love the Psalms. We may look at the Psalms and go, I don't even know what this is. So I wanted to do a, a 23-sermon series. Learning to love the songbook that God gave us. And there's so many good things. But as we start this, I'm going to give you a gift of strange trivia today. Psalm 1 did not always used to be Psalm 1. In fact, back in medieval times when bookmakers would make copies of the Bible, Psalm 1 would often be printed in red versus all the rest of them in black. It would not be given a number. Instead, it was used as an introduction to the rest of the psalms. So there would be 149 psalms, and this would be the nameless first psalm. They saw this, this psalm as a gateway of sorts. And I want you to keep this mental image of, in mind of Psalm 1 being a gateway. We'll get back to that a little bit. But in this introductory psalm, David writes of the only two roads that we will ever travel down. The first that we're going to look at is the road of the wicked which is the road that every single fallen human being, all of us, have traveled down. We traveled on it when we're born into this world. It's the road of the individual who says, I don't want somebody else telling me what to do. I want to be the captain of my own soul. Not realizing that something else is calling the shots there. That sin is. In Romans 6, Paul echoes this when he plainly tells us that no matter what we would like to believe, we are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. We have a master in our life, and there's only two masters out there. So you have to ask yourself, which is your master? And that's what David is saying here. There's no individual third path where somehow somebody's free from both God and sin, and we're somehow righteous without God. But as we travel down the first road, the road of the wicked, David notes that there's a progression deeper and deeper into sin. You notice how he says the wicked and the sinners and the mockers. Well, when he says wicked, what he's, the word he's using there is guilty. You've been pronounced guilty in a court of law, in a court of God's law. That you are, that is your state. You are a state of a convicted criminal. You've been convicted of the crime of sin. But instead of reforming from the state, the farther down this road we go on, we embrace that identity of being a sinner. That we're not just pronounced sinners. We get comfortable with being sinners. It flows through our life. Everything we do is centered around making ourselves happy, centered around appeasing sin. We are dominated and dictated by the sin that has enslaved us. Again, whether or not we acknowledge it, it's out there. But finally, and most damningly, we transform from sinner into a mocker or scoffer, depending on your uh, version of the Bible. 
These people are, have gone from embracing their sin to advoc- or avidly promoting their sin. They become missionaries of wickedness. The people out there who call evil good. The people out there who laugh at Christians that Proverbs identifies as the ultimate fools. We see mockers all the time. I think you've encountered some. They're the, when the ever politicians belittle Christians in their speeches. Whether TV scientists are looking down snorting at creationism. Whether friends are jibing us on our morals. We encounter scoffers. People are promoting wickedness. And David, as we're going down this road, he shows us exactly where those twists and turns around the bend of the road of wickedness leads to. He says that it transforms its walkers, its journeyers, into chaff. Chaff was, is something that a lot of farmers know. It's when you take wheat and you beat the wheat and you toss the wheat because you want to separate the edible grain from the inedible chaff, that husk. And you want to toss it up in the air so the, the wind carries the, the light chaff away, but the heavy seed falls down. That's what we eat. I think a more appropriate metaphor for us might be if you made breakfast this morning. Cracked an egg. You didn't keep the shell. You didn't eat the shell. The shell went into the trash. The rind of the orange went into the trash. That's the useless part. Unless you're making potpourri or compost, I guess. But that, that's this idea of transforming the wicked into chaff. Of something being so useless that the wind blows it away. It has no foundation. It is not thriving and fed by any truth it's not watered. It's something without purpose. It's a lack of purpose in its life. And even beyond that lack of purpose, David says there are two things that the wicked will never be able to do. They'll never be able to stand in front of the judgment of God and to defend their lives. And they will never be able to sit in the assembly of righteous saints. They will never be welcomed there. It's a sobering wake-up call that we should think about what road we're on, and if we're on this road, that we should want to repent and get off this road as soon as possible. So here's why I asked you to keep in your mind this vision of someone being a gate, a gatekeeper, almost. It's because that's what David's using here. He's saying, listen, if you're going down this road of the wicked, the rest of these psalms are not for you. You don't go any further in this book. These psalms are all about a personal, intimate relationship with a God who was leading you on a road of righteousness. And if you're on that road of wickedness, the rest of these psalms will not mean anything to you. So stop reading. But he's inviting you, conversely, saying, but if you switch roads, read on. Read on. Because there's wonders that await you. Reader's Digest once listed several hilarious wanted ads that actually went out in newspapers. And some of these wanted ads, I don't think they were quite thought through as clearly as they should have been. One of them said this, said, now hiring a cemetery superintendent. The ideal candidate must be able to supervise in a fast-paced environment. Think about that one for a second. Or another one read, waitress wanted must be 18 years old with 20 years of experience. You see, a good wanted ad really gets to its point about what's desired in a person. 
that said clearly and succinctly, and hopefully with a better mastery of the English language. And I don't think we can get any more clear and succinct about what God wants in a person than what's right here in Psalm 1. This is his wanted ad. This is what God's looking for. I wanted a righteous person, a blessed one. He's looking for somebody who's going to walk down that road of the righteous instead of the wicked. He's very clear about what that person shouldn't be. That person who's walking down the road of the righteous should not be a sinner in any way, shape, or form. And he's also, God is very clear about what he is looking for in a person, about what that person should be. The blessed one here completely delights in God's word, reads the Bible, thinks about it all the time. It's somebody who sees the law of the Lord as not a chore that must be endured, but something that is exciting, joyful, encouraging, fulfilling, inspiring. Something you can't wait to get back to. When David says that this person, this blessed one, meditates on God's word, that doesn't suggest here this, this modern New Age stand, yoga stance of clearing your mind to a tranquil state. Instead, meditating here in the Bible means somebody who reads out loud over and over while they contemplate what it means. Almost like you're murmuring the text over and over. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the one. That's, and it's kind of like the, the idea of somebody chewing on God's word. Chewing, like if you ever chewed on a stick of gum, to release its flavor. Only here, the flavor doesn't diminish the more you chew it, but more comes out, and more, and more, and more, the more you meditate on God's word, and that's what this person does. But if I may be so bold to suggest a problem with God's wanted ad here, it's that it is too restrictive. It is far too restrictive. I mean, is there absolutely anybody, as you're looking at these verses of Psalm 1, is there anybody who meets the requirements? Somebody's never sinned, and somebody fully delights in God's Word. In the early 1900s, there was a missionary named Joseph Flax, and he went off and he visited Palestine, as they call Palestine back then. And he got into discussion with the Jews and the Arabs there about who exactly was the Blessed One of Psalm 1. And they bandied out a lot of names from the Bible back and forth. They said, well, maybe it was Abraham. Abraham is a pretty big name. And they said, no, Abraham lied about his wife that one time, yet he sinned at least one time. He did not properly, fully walk in a life without sin. Well, what about Moses? Moses, oh, Moses. They said, no, but Moses fell into pride. And, and maybe King David. But even David, the greatest king of Israel, they thought of, no, he still publicly he committed adultery and he committed murder. So they were at a loss. The crowd couldn't think of anybody who would fulfill such stringent requirements. And finally, one elderly Jew raised his hand. He said, well, I've been reading the New Testament. And I don't know if I believe this or not, but if, if it, this book is to be believed, then there is one person who meets the requirements of Psalm 1. One person who lived a life without sin, and that would be Jesus of Nazareth. This was a Jew saying that. He said, Jesus is the only one who ever went through this world who never walked in the counsel of the ungodly or stood in the way of sinners. Jesus' claim 
in his ministry on earth, and we talked about this, that the Psalms were written about him. They are his Psalms. They are the songs of Jesus. And we see his footprint right here in the very first verse of the very first Psalm, that he is the blessed one. He is the only one who meets these requirements, walking down a road that the rest of the world had not taken. And while that's great for Jesus, we who are all on the other road, destined to become chaff, blown away, led to destruction, are looking over at him, and we feel despair. How can we ever be as righteous as him? How can we ever get on that other road? We can't. Or can we? That is the amazing news of the gospel. That the work of Jesus Christ culminated in a gift of grace. That gift transfers every step that we walked on that road of wickedness. Transferred every one of those steps onto Jesus Christ on the cross. And he in turn transferred his righteousness onto us. So that we can take one step off that road and step over on the road of righteousness and start walking down that road instead. Not based on our own righteousness, but on His. Through Jesus, we are welcome to leave the road of righteousness. And as we're walking down onto, uh, lead to go to that road of righteousness, and David says, as we go down that road, here's what to anticipate. And he uses another kind of farming metaphor, but here it's much more lovely than useless husks of chaff. He says, look at this. You will become like a tree that will be planted by a heavenly gardener. He will plant you in just the right spot in your lives. You will be born in the right place. He will use you in the right place. You will live in the right place. And you will be watered with truth and with faith. He will help you to grow. And as you're growing, look at the end result. You'll have fruit. You will be productive. You'll have actual results that will echo through all eternity. This is a picture of purpose and of a future. And David says this, whatever they do, whatever these people who are on this righteous road do, will prosper. Now let's look at that word prosper right there. That doesn't mean that this road here, the, the road of righteousness is a get-rich-quick road. I will never get up here and say, if you become a Christian and you'll suddenly start earning millions of dollars and You'll have no problems for the rest of your life, and you'll never have gingivitis, none of that. You know, you'll, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what David is saying here with the word prospers. The word prosper here means to accomplish the work that you set out to do. You ever start on a project, and you want to see that project accomplished? You want to see your efforts raising a child accomplished? You don't want to look back on your years of doing a job and saying, what have I accomplished? Nothing. You want to look back and see your work accomplished. You want to see prosperity. The righteous road can and will be a hard road at times, but at the end of that road is prosperity. Not one thing you do for God will be counted as waste. Not one thing you do for God will not be used by Him for His glory. It will be prosperous. We look at Jesus. His road was hard. His road was long. His road was led to the cross, which was brutal. But at the end of that road, when he said, it is finished, he was talking about the prosperity of his mission. It was accomplished, everything he did. And our life, we'll be able to say that. On our dying breath of our dying day, we'll say, it is finished. Our life prospered. 
if we want to get off the road of the wicked, if you want to have a life that will mean something for someone, have it mean something for God who is great and good, then all you need to do to get off the road of the wicked and onto the road of the righteous is to ask. Jesus is already handing it to you. just have to take it. But if you're already on this road of the righteous, I want you to read these verses about how God tends to you, how he plants you, how he waters you, how he takes care of you and strengthens you and produces fruit. And don't despair in your lives when you look and go, what is the point? What is the purpose? I feel like I've been doing and saying the same thing over and over again. It doesn't really matter. David is calling you a liar there. He's saying it does matter. Your life will prosper. And that is encouragement. I would imagine that Robert Frost's poem would have been a lot different if it was written today. In the year of 2020, if we want to know what lies down two different roads. We need but to dig into our pocket and draw out our phone and draw up Google Maps, and there we go. We know what lads, you know, it'd be a bit of a different poem. Thanks to satellites and GPSs and maps and guides, we know what lies at the end of roads. But no satellite can offer us insight about what's going to happen to us tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to your tomorrow. I have no idea what your Monday will be like. It may be the best day of your life. It may be the worst day. It may be another boring day at work. I don't know. But for that, you can rely on a lifeguard who sits above all space and time looking down at you and seeing exactly where your road is going to go. Our lifeguard there is the Lord. And in the last verse here, verse 6, says that he is watching, judging, and evaluating the two roads and all those who are walking down them. He knows he sees the walkers, he sees their destination. And he knows that not just because he has a great vantage point all the way up there and see everything stretching out, but he knows that because he came down here and walked the road himself. Jesus Christ was a pathfinder. He was the very first person who ever lived who walked down the road of the righteous. And he not only walked down it and got to its destination, but then he turned back and he said, guys, come on, follow me. Join me on this road. Come back because the destination here is just the best. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus is basically doing this. He's waved the pathfinders, waving at the crowd, and he says, Guys, enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In fact, we wouldn't have even found the road that leads to life if Jesus hadn't found it for us. We wouldn't have had a prayer of taking one step down the road of righteousness if Jesus hadn't bled for us. And we would not arrive at the destination of that road if Jesus had not loved us. Two roads diverge in our lives. Two roads stretch out before every single person. And Psalm 1 calls for a choice, calls for a response. Which road will you go down? Knowing that you cannot travel both, and now knowing what lies at the end of each road. May you choose wisely, and may once you start walking down, hopefully the road of the righteous, you will never look back and never have a cause to regret. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are convicted by the words of Psalm 1 
convicted of our own sin and how we fail to live up to the standards of the Blessed One. But Lord, we also are rejoicing, we are dancing in our hearts that there has been one who has gone before us. There's been one who fulfilled these requirements, then turned around and covered us with his perfectness, his righteousness, that we may also travel down that road. Lord, we want in our lives, we want to matter. We don't want to lead lives that don't mean anything, that will not, never have a purpose, that any of our work will just float away over time. But Lord, I think all of us want deep in our hearts to have an eternal purpose, and we know we can only find that in you. I pray that today we would be encouraged, if we are Christians, that our lives do have purpose. And Lord, those who are in this church, those who are in this community, who have not yet accepted you, who are still on that road to wickedness and purposelessness, that Lord, they would be convicted by the Holy Spirit and have a faith spark in their hearts. They would fall down and repent and accept that gift of grace today. And all God's people said, Amen. Now receive the benediction. From Philemon, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, now and always. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you again for listening. It is our sincere prayer that today's message has brought you closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. You can also audio stream our full service. Details can be found at our website. Our church is fully wheelchair accessible and loop-enabled for the hearing impaired. For a full schedule of activities and more information on our beliefs, visit our website at www.noxepc.com or call our church office at 716-873-2423.